friends, brothers, sisters, tonight on the Marshall Proof Podcast. And our Week in IndyCar listener Q&A Part 2. Yes, there's a Part 2. Well, we're doing this on a Friday night. Why on a Friday night? Because I really don't want to work over the weekend. So, got an opportunity here to knock out our show. Brought to you by Cooper Tires. Who else? The Justice Brothers. That would be the really, really fine folks at Bell Racing Helmets USA. And then never last in our hearts, but last in the line of four major supporters. That being TorontoMotorsports.com. We're going to do this tonight because the night time is the right time. No, I'm not drunk. But I don't think I could be. Uh, I do have, though, I do have something in my left hand that makes me very proud. And those of you with dirty minds, stop it. I have a Samuel Smith's organic chocolate, chocolate, sure, chocolate stout. It has just been cracked open. I've had a sip or two. Uh, It says here on the bottom of the label, Malt beverage with natural flavor added. That's great compared to unnatural flavor. Uh, Samuel Smith's Brewery in Tadcaster, News, Yorks. So, yeah, it's a pint. It's a product of the U.S., uh, 550 milliliters for those who uh, aren't used to American standards of units. And for those of you who listen to this very silly and informal and conversational show of ours, Since it's powered by your questions, it has been most of 2020 since I recorded an episode of the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A while consuming a beer. Why am I doing this? What what reason is there for this? I just felt like it. I figured, you know what? It's dark outside. It's almost 6 p.m. I've got about two hours to finish this show. I think it's going to take a lot less time, though. And I just wanted to have a little companion here. So one of the five or six beers I bought pre-pandemic, actually it was around Christmas time last year, and have just held on to because money for frivolous things like beer hasn't been so much of a thing. So tapping into the old beer reserves. Do I have things to tell you about IndyCar before we get to your Q&A? Hopefully you read the silly season thing that I posted, I believe the fourth installment so far in recent months. And yeah, some of the things we've been talking about on the show, Santino Ferrucci, not going back to Dale coin racing, according to a lot of people who would know that if that were to change, then it would be a change of plans. But as for where they're at and have been for a little while, no intention for Santino to return, which would mean they've got two openings to fill know for a fact that in some of the calls dale coin has made to drivers i might have trailed this in uh, the last episode he has told them while asking about their availability he has two seats to fill so there's that Uh, we know for a fact that andretti autosport should have some news here in the coming weeks confirming some things about its driver lineup so uh, some may be landing sooner than later, right? Uh, we've got Christmas coming up pretty quickly. So if they're going to do such things, you'd think it'd be in the next week, following week at most. So yeah, not a lot of time till we kind of run out of time to do this when people care. Uh, really on the clock, I'm thinking middle to late next week, we should know whether Connor Daly is a ongoing 
that would be mighty fine Ed Carpenter racing driver, whether he is part-time, if he is able to stay, or full-time. Uh, also, what else? Due to speak with Max Chilton, I think on Monday, just to catch up with good old uh, M-A-X, all caps. I know that because that's what he has on his ball cap. His name in all caps, big letters. So we're going to hopefully find out a little bit more about what he's thinking. Uh, last thing to mention that jumps out right now, spent, I think, half hour plus on the phone with a friend of the show by the name of Jay Fry, IndyCar president, and not going to put out the full pieces from that conversation all at once because i think we struck maybe six topics seven maybe i don't know so all deserving their own individual story as i'm struggling to think of words despite only having one sip of beer uh so yeah uh there's some stuff coming other than that let's get to your questions let's roll in a music bed because that's the thing that we do on the show and where are we going first you know what we're gonna do first Oh, man, I'm telling you, I refer to this show as my unpolished turd because I really don't make much attempt, as you have figured out by now, to be the least bit professional. Um, i got to go download the, uh, the questions sent to me by the mighty, mighty fine Tim Falkowitz. And, yeah, you know, I, I don't always get my act together before I start the show. And since I don't cut this stuff out, um, although I was told that there was a weird cut last week, and I don't know what it was, uh, maybe the the record skipped, um, I just leave all the garbage in because it's an accurate reflection of your host who is borderline trash at most times, uh, if not fully trash, according to uh, feedback that I get. Uh, we're going to kick things off here. Tony Chef 20 wanting to know about more Tonys. He says, hey, MP, a different kind of question, and maybe one that I hope will not sound ignorant, but do you think there will ever be another Tony Stewart? He says, by that I mean a driver that has a start racing in USAC sprints and midgets on dirt, then makes his way, and I'll throw in or her way, to racing IndyCar. I find that uh, he has one of the more unique careers in IndyCar and something I don't see anyone replicating, nor do I Tony Chef 20. That being, unless we're talking about another Ed Carpenter, of which I am confident, having read Robin Miller's article about the uh, bevy of crazy talented young women coming up the USAC ladder and the many men we know of that are kicking lots behind that if there were a decision by a team to pursue an oval specialist to put in their car, which is what Tony was. This is what he came into a series dedicated to only ovals. Uh, of course he excelled because he has... I was about to say transcendental talent. That might not work. Transcendent talent. This is a guy who, I don't care where he started. Had he started in USF 2000 uh, and carting, carting straight to USF 2000, uh, Atlantix, maybe Indy Lights, whatever, um, he'd be one of the great IndyCar road racing champions. He didn't. He started on dirt, started on ovals. That's where he focused his career, so that ended up being his specialty. 
But on this specific topic, Tony came into the Indy Racing League, zero road courses, zero street courses, fit his talent perfectly. And guess what? (laughs) All-timer, all-time great in that specific discipline. Ed Carpenter, I know he's had some lean years of late, but I don't care about that. We will always talk about Ed as one of the, the great oval racers of his IndyCar generation. Will there be another one that gets that call? Admittedly, Tony Chef 20, I think the only person that might make that call would be Ed Carpenter. When and if he ever decides that driving is no longer his thing, uh, but wanting to maintain that tradition, uh, I would love for Ed to go and find the next young badass, male or female, and continue that tradition, groom he or she, him or her, to be the next Ed, the next Tony, uh, the next Sarah Fisher, and put on that display in IndyCar. But if it were under the full-season guys, road and street courses and ovals, no, because Tony wasn't that guy. Um, Sarah wasn't that woman. Ed isn't that guy. Uh, It's just, yeah, it's a matter of, lifetime of expertise or even if we're talking a young driver tony um you know not that they couldn't get there or be good but it sure is hard to have to build in a foundation that doesn't exist after you have spent many 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 years uh doing one specific thing i mean what comes to mind was with this and it's maybe an obscure reference but uh, watching one of the documentaries one of my favorite bands rush uh, late in his career, the, the unfortunately late Neil Peart uh, mentions wanting to switch his drumming style and how uh, using what I think it was his left hand in a jazz uh, standard compared to rock standard and how it took quite a while. And although the band members, the rest of the band members, Alex and Getty said they really couldn't hear the difference so much, he could, but it was one of those things where here's one of the world's greatest to ever do the thing that he did, right? Pantheon of all-time greats, no one like Neil. And yeah, it wasn't a thing where he's like, oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a guy who uses a totally different drumming style, and I should be able to pick it right up and go. No, took a while. So would just say that thing where you have a bulk of time dedicated to one thing, it's not so easy to become something different. And with the nuances of road and street course racing that uh, are so just radically different, I think you're on to something. I don't see anyone replicating uh, this, especially if they were to try full-time as Tony did. But again, Tony was in a different era of the series where it was only ovals. But I do love that idea of Ed maybe trying to find a, a USAC-style successor. Wouldn't that be pretty darn cool? Because I can't think of anyone else trying to do that. Let's go to Cade Fulling. This is MP. Always been a little bit quiet on the Andretti front. Uh, I felt like by December we would know a little bit about uh, who is going to be in their various cars and what those cars might look like. Is Gainbridge moving to the 88 for Colton Herta? Uh, is Hinch going to be full-time in the 26 with Genesis? Uh, Andretti deciding to add five more cars to their stable, maybe becoming a 10-car team. Any insight? On some of the rumors we've been hearing, uh, we were hearing a few months ago 
Like you, Cade, I'm looking forward to learning the formal answers to some of these things. As I wrote in the Silly Season update, we keep hearing that Hinch is a, a done deal in the 26 car. Um, beyond that, I mean, we know that Colton is signed to the team, so that that's, I would say, not so much of a question, but more um, what, what, who, and how is that going to be funded? That's certainly an answer uh, we are searching for. We know that Hunter Ray is headed back, so uh, we just haven't heard that that it we haven't had the formal announcement of that. But again, we've known this for a while, spoken it for a while. I think the rest of things are fairly well known. There haven't heard about that an additional five, but it wouldn't surprise me. So, as I mentioned in the open cade, stay tuned. I think we're going to get some more concrete information out of the team here very soon. Lori Carter, hey Lori, how you doing? Uh, she says, MP, Connor mentioned that he would know by mid-September about his Air Force sponsorship. Uh, have you heard anything? Uh, also, she asks, have you finished watching The Crown, uh, the latest season of The Crown on Netflix? She says, I loved this season. See, we try and mix in uh, a little bit of life, a little bit of nonsense with uh, this racing stuff. Uh, mention the Connor bit. Uh, we really should know here next week from what I've heard is meant to be uh, a time where if it isn't known by then, there might not be anything to know. Um, the crown. Yeah. Uh, so my wife started watching it. She is all about the crown grew up one of, I don't know how many, but I'm assuming many, uh, little girls and young women who fell in love with, uh, princess Diana and the whole concept of that, romance back in the day watched their wedding live in montgomery alabama tv station whatever it was back in 1980 whatever 81 i don't know anyway so yeah uh, she has loved this and she devours uh all kinds of british british content to my surprise whether it's netflix whether it's PBS, where it seems like there's nothing but British accents spoken uh, on that most of the time. If there is a series that has some sort of historical something with uh, the royal family or related or just whatever, a period piece that has English accents, uh, it's probably going to be on in the Prude household. So if you have any recommendations, Lori, please don't hesitate to fire them our way and yeah uh, this is a good season i thought it was better than last season for sure and for the rest of you who don't watch it and aren't interested in learning about uh queen elizabeth and uh whatnot well you're missing out uh jordan darwin mp with elio joining an andretti technologies affiliated team in indycar take a sip of beer here jordan what value does his 20 years of working with team penske dampers hold to andretti says hashtag me personally i wondered if it was no big deal since he was just a driver or maybe the other extreme where elio is interrogated by ex-kgb officers for weeks on end in a siberian gulag until he spills all the penske damping secrets and draws every damper curve he has seen in the last 20 years ah uh, that's awesome wondered about this a little bit myself um let's see how do we how do we crack this one open a little bit elio would know exactly what he likes 
in terms of damping feel, how it resp- how they respond uh, in both compression and rebound. Um, he would know these things. I would guarantee you that he would have seen said damping curves. I don't know about, uh, granted, he hasn't been in IndyCar full-time for three years. So his real, the last time he would have really been plugged in looking at such things, when there was no question he was a Team Penske driver, meaning contract wasn't really up and or there was no concern about him leaving so much, would have come at a time when the cars were very different before the 2018 Universal Aero kit. So, and while the dampers and all the cars aren't crazy different from what they are today, there have certainly been a host of changes of how they do what they do, both improvements and just modifying to car that has less downforce a car that has now with the aero screen more weight and a lot of other things so if we're talking about elio leaving team penske's indycar program at the end of 2020 and going to shank i think there'd be something there jordan the fact that really we're talking about 2017 that's probably why there isn't a whole ton for him to offer of course i know he's been there for the uh, indy gp and the indy 500 for the last couple of years i just don't know from an engineering standpoint if he would have been read in on all of the little bits and pieces and developments knowing that admittedly he would not be the guy who's super responsible for helping with them He'd be coming in and driving the car with a, uh, a damping direction where his full-time teammates would have assisted there and where obviously uh, all the, the race engineers and technical types would have shaped things. But that's where I think <laughs> we're talking. Uh, I don't think we need weeks in a gulag. I think it'd be, hey, man, I don't know. Um, and they'd probably let him go. But just in terms of feel. Uh, and and a, a general idea, I think he can definitely help, right? Um, a quality driver like Elio knows what he wants and can help the team to get there. He would certainly have a feel for how Penske goes about their approach to damping. Every team's different. Every engineer has a different bend on things. I know I did when I was... Uh, building dampers and trying different things uh, on my own. So there's that. But there's one other thing I'll throw out here, and this isn't speaking ill of Elio. It's just one of those reputational things. He's He's been regarded for the majority of his career that is going to drive the living wheels off of everything he straps into not necessarily known for the guy that is going to say, ah, one click of this, one little smidge of that, trade this piece for that piece, raise this a a little bit, inflate that a touch, we're on pole. Uh, uh, That hasn't been his reputation. I'm not saying he doesn't know what the car is doing and he doesn't know what he wants from it. Just saying... He's maybe not the guy who's known for being the one 
to be the, the super technical type among drivers. So there's an interesting thing for us to watch this coming season, Jordan, and fans of Myershank Racing and Mr. Heliarch Castro Nervous. And that would be in the six races with the team, the Myershank Racing team. Is this someone who makes a car that is very good, crazy good? Is this someone who on a bad day or bad weekend where they start off by missing the setup, who can bring things back in more than they've been able to? The Andretti Technologies angle is very important, but just be curious to see where Elio fits in here because we've only known him in IndyCar, barring this one weekend that he had, filling in for Oliver Askew at Aaron McLaren SP. We'll just write that off. I don't even consider that weekend anything uh, for you know his real long-term record. This is the first time we're going to see the guy since... I worked with him at Hogan in 1999 in cart where he's not under this big giant umbrella of championship everything. Um, Hey, the Myershank racing team is on the rise for sure. He's not stepping into the best car in the grid. We know that Uh, it's still a young team, even with the Andretti technologies affiliation. So how do you fare there when maybe you have a car that's, If everything goes super well, uh, third, fourth, or fifth would be a big result. Uh, What do you look like on that day? Are you third, fourth, or fifth? Or are you seventh or ninth? I don't know. It'll just be interesting. Like we're seeing this weekend uh, at Bahrain again with Lewis Hamilton out, Jordan, with George Russell stepping in, right? How good is that car? We're finding out it's pretty darn good, man. Um there, it's been hilarious, by the way, to see people uh, dressing down Lewis. Oh, see, it's all the car. This guy isn't very special. Even you know, this guy is beating Botas as well with ease. So psh, you go, well, no, Lewis is one of the greatest of the all-time greats. Uh, George Russell, signed by Mercedes as a Mercedes young driver. Clearly, they don't do that with people who they aren't convinced are extremely special. And so you plug that guy in who's just been waiting for an opportunity and boom, he's right there. Uh, Interesting to see him go the opposite direction of Elio, right? Um, And I'm not saying Marshank Racing is like the lowest team in F1, that being Williams, just saying that this kid's getting the big chance in the acknowledged best car. Elio, not being in the best car, but one that's very good, but not tip of the spear It'd be interesting to see how he handles that and if and how he contributes to make msr better all right let's keep rolling here uh where are we going we're going to tim riley hey tim uh thanks for sending in a question man it says i remember there being talk that jensen button would jump into a third air mclaren sp car for a few rounds obviously that got put in hold due to coronavirus is that still potential for 2021 or has that entirely fizzled out? I should probably check in on this one, Tim, because I don't feel like I have enough knowledge in my brain to answer it without it being dumb. So I'm going to take a sip of beer to give me the excuse that if the answer is terrible, we'll blame the alcohol, right? Eh. The thing I remember was drawing upon 
significant Honda relationship. And that being the thing that was really a solid facilitator uh, for Jensen to come do something when Aero McLaren, well, when Aero SPM was Honda powered. Now, if there was some sort of invite to do that this past season while under brand new Chevy power, I am I have missed that part. I do seem to recall Jensen still having very strong Honda alliance for the racing he's been doing, so I don't know if that would be any kind of barrier. So I'm going to take your question here, Tim. I'm going to highlight it in yellow, which is what I do for things I want to try and remember. And I will pop a note over to our friends on the uh, F1 side of McLaren and say, hey, uh, what you know? Because Tim wants to know, and the, the idiot he sent the question to, not armed with as much as he should. Brian Burrell. How you doing, Brian? This MP, what's the craziest request you've had or heard of from a driver, owner, etc.? Says, I know there are some interesting demands in athlete and entertainers' contracts, like a certain type of coffee, maybe fox piss, etc. Huh. Well, I am struggling from a direct experience standpoint. That being because the majority of the teams that I worked for were small to midfield. And most of the time, if not pretty much all the time, it was 100% by choice. So although there were opportunities for me to go to work for bigger teams, championship caliber teams, it just never fit my personality, uh, never fit my sensibilities maybe as well, uh, being someone who is the front-end mechanic or the gearbox guy, or the whatever. I just always enjoyed being someone that did multiple roles. And so that is what I often did uh, for the majority of IndyCar teams that I worked for. Um, So it's worth mentioning that because in those scenarios, you're not getting a lot of, you know, badass, quote, prima donna types. It's young chargers who aren't in a position to really ask for much because they're trying to make a career. Or maybe it's some of the older ones who are a little bit washed. And, uh, yeah. So, let me see. I know that I have heard... You know, let me tell you. I'll I'll share this one with you. And I'm sorry that I don't have something just great that's lined up for you. Um, I'll go the opposite direction. And... It's something that was taken away from a driver. And me, I don't know if this is known and out there or not, and I'm not going to put names on it because I shouldn't because it wasn't told to me as a a put-the-names-on-it story. Uh, It's not uncommon for IndyCar drivers to have a vehicle supplied to them for personal use by the manufacturer that they represent. Pretty much standard. Um, was interesting to learn that that came to an end for one driver. And when it was time to go to a new manufacturer, 
that driver, not one steeped in wealth, was not on the list. Now, whether that was the team not putting that driver on the list by mistake, intentionally, or the manufacturer possibly saying, meh. And this is someone being paid by the team, by the way, not someone bringing a check to the team to drive. Um, It left this driver who, despite being very talented, etc., just not one whose bank account, despite receiving payments, is really overloaded with money. And as I had the story told to me, the team uh, was not particularly bothered to try and help. And so in a bit of a pinch financially, losing the car that they needed to get around in, um, I actually heard that another driver, a friend of this driver, stepped up and leased a, I won't say what it is, but leased a vehicle for them. It's pretty amazing, Brian, right? <laughs> and it wasn't their teammate. It wasn't someone who worked for the team. Uh, this is someone who saw something they thought was wrong and stepped in and did the right thing. So, yeah, maybe that's that's an answer going the opposite direction. Uh, something that they had but didn't have and needed and uh, someone else who decided to be a good Samaritan. So that comes to mind. I mean, I can mention a number of things that if they're not contractual and, you know, demands just personalities. I mean, that that's, <laughs> you come across some who, uh, uh, they demand fealty. They demand a bit of bowing and scraping in their presence. You need to demonstrate to them that, you know, their importance, how not, and not so much greatness. Oh, Hey, Heather told you how amazing you are driver X just more of, uh, you, you know, where I am in this organizational chart of importance and where you are. Right. And that's been pretty interesting. That's not something you can put in a, in a contract or writer so much, but I've seen that before for sure, Brian. I mean, I directly experienced it for uh, uh, a year or more and would also just add it wasn't aimed specifically at me. This was just someone when they walked in uh, to the transporter, you almost expected little boys and girls with baskets throwing rose petals on the floor um, just to make sure that the ground they stepped on was filled with honor uh, and reverie for them like some of those things now granted (laughs) if you get that from a driver and you're like wow it's it's a little dickish right i mean i realize you're the star uh in in the way that you're received by fans but trust me in teams you know unless we're talking like I don't know, a Rick Mears or a, a Mario, a, trans, a transcendental figure, someone where you go, all right, this is like all time great. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I get to work with them. 
99% of the other drivers are no different, treated no different than anyone else in the team. And yes, everyone recognizes you're the driver, you're the star, you might be a race winner, you might be a champion. Of course, we love you and respect you, but we're not kind of treating you with kid gloves and, oh, Mr. Driver, could you uh, please sit in the car so we can, you know, get your seatbelt set? Just, hey, (laughs) dude, need you for a sec, Uh, whatever. And it's all just, it's a flat organizational chart. Uh, despite importance and pay grades, we don't want any of that nonsense. It's more of that, you know, uh, equals, uh, team pool of equals instead of know your place. So even in the teams where you go, that's a champion, uh, Joseph Newgarden, that he's a team member. Uh, he might be a champ, but that, that isn't, that isn't something that comes across in how he treats his team, how they treat him. He's an employee like everyone else, and they all have immense respect for one another, but also they let their hair down and just be, you know, people uh, doing the same thing they love. Alexander Rossi, Scott Dixon, uh, run down the list. Uh, that's a common, common trait. I just share that, Brian, because one of the drivers that I mentioned that came to mind about the kiss my feet um, uh, type deal, it's kind of funny because sometimes you'll get that from those who are like, dude, you've never been that guy. <laughs> not now, not before. We appreciate you. We th- we Thanks for the sponsorship that might come with you. Thanks for whatever. And I know you might've won this race here and over there. However many years later, you was on a podium somewhere, but whoa, um, the guy giving you the business about how important they are. And you should just kind of bow your head and avert your eyes and never look at them. Uh, to give them the full Hollywood treatment. Yeah. It's just funny, man. Cause there, I can absolutely recall some occasions. Um, maybe I'll put it in a book one day that no one will read. Where you go, brother, whatever this thing is that you think you are, I mean, good on you. Because you live in a fantasy world where you are this raging, raging hero. And kind of want us to play along that you are. But, uh, boy, this is wearing thin pretty quickly. Those are the years, Brian, where where you might be halfway through the season and you're just staring at staring at the calendar like come on man please get to september october whatever it is please uh and if this driver's staying i might be leaving um and if not boy i is there another team i could introduce them to so there you go take another sip of beer here very similar topic uh from our pal horatio frey hey there horatio don't get to hear from you as often as uh, I wish, but I appreciate when you do take time to write. And uh, for any of you who are listening, who uh, listen regularly, but don't necessarily send in questions, please do. Even if you don't want your name mentioned, you can actually mention that in your, uh, granted, don't probably do it on Twitter, but maybe Facebook. I don't know, wherever you might submit. Uh, we ask for questions each week on Twitter, uh, my at Marshall Prude account on the uh, Marshall Pro podcast Facebook page and also the Reddit IndyCar group. Uh, you know, I mean, I know some of you want to remain more private and just lurk, 
Uh, and, but don't hesitate. If you want to ask something um, and don't want your name read, give me a good screen name. Because some of these, as we opened with Tony Chef 20 on Reddit, I couldn't tell you who that is. But uh, nonetheless, don't hesitate. We, uh, I love, and by we, I mean me, uh, love it when uh, folks we don't hear from weigh in because it just tells me that, uh, I don't know, uh, there's more of us than I think. Horatio says, Marshall, do you have a story of any driver that you could always get a hold of for an interview or chit-chat? However, now that they made it, quote, big, you have to make an appointment uh, or contact an agent. Huh, now that's a good one. I might have mentioned to you a little while ago. Uh, I'm forgetting now. Was it November? Uh, about a driver that I knew was leaving and going to another team, and they wouldn't pick up the phone, and their driver manager all of a sudden forgot how to answer his phone and so on. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I sent that driver, despite them kind of being a dick, uh, when they got announced, just sent a note saying, you know, hey, congrats on whatever. That's kind of normal. Uh, and got a response back real quick, like, hey, sorry I had to diss you uh, with whatever, whatever, but uh, I couldn't really talk about it. I'm like, yeah, I knew that. Um, all right, who who's too cool for school? I'm going to look through the current IndyCar list here uh, because I'm going to take another sip of beer. Here's the thing, Horatio. Sometimes it's not because they're, they've gotten too big. Sometimes they have a beef. And I end up figuring it out because all of a sudden the person that I could get a hold of anytime, super easily and whatever, or vice versa if they needed, like they don't answer their phone and they don't answer their phone and they don't answer their phone. I'm like, if I've got to call you more than three times for what we do, like, and again, I, I hope this doesn't sound complainy or whatever, but like, we love IndyCar. I love IndyCar. It's been part of my life forever. It's the, pretty much one of the main things I do in life. Um, we're, we're just, it's sports entertainment, right? There's no real societal value to it other than entertaining and amusing folks, right? Uh, no one's making enough money from it to drastically change their lives and their families, families, families and future generations, right? I mean, there's some folks that make good money on the driver's side, but, you know, uh, we're not curing anything. We're not solving anything. This is just, it's not that complicated, which is why I always come back to that point when driver X, team owner X, whatever, forgets how to answer their phone. And multiple times. And so after two or three phone calls in a couple of days span, you go, okay, I don't know what your deal is. Um, and so I just mentioned that Horatio, because if you don't have a pretty easy, straightforward relationship, I'm not saying you always love one another that that's just not realistic. But, uh, if you do have beef and aren't willing to mention it, it's really hard to then solve the problem. So I find that out from from time to time. There'll be someone who, uh, you know, who is really good, um, really good. Everything is super smooth and easy, and all of a sudden uh, they forget how to answer their phone. So I've had one of those drivers this year, 
Uh, you might be able to figure out who he is. I'm not going to mention his name because he doesn't warrant a mention. Um, but yeah, that happens from time to time. I know that he has some sort of beef. I think I can kind of, I think I know what it is. Um, but regardless, uh, Hey, uh, life is made full of choices, right? Um, so there's that. Let me, you know, another thing to throw into, this is just a funny one and I are funny to me. And I have these conversations once or twice a year, quite often. So we work in a very small, small little corner of the sporting world, motor racing to begin with, but then kind of a subset of motor racing, that being IndyCar. It's not the top form in the States by any means. So again, it's a little fishbowl of, of interactions with folks. When I need to call Colton Herta, I call Colton Herta, right? There's no need to call a PR rep, send him it, he or she an email and ask, oh, could I talk to so-and-so? Uh, it's, hey, shoot a text. Hey, dude, got a sec? Yeah, sure. Or sorry, I'm busy. Can we try tomorrow? Or is it whatever? It's just that kind of easy thing. Uh, and I can say that is the case for just about every single driver in the field. There's only two in the IndyCar field who, if you try and communicate with them directly, they freak the F out. And it is a violation. And they want to be kept well behind a protective barrier of, uh, of PR security. Got it. Not a problem. That's who they are. Uh, I don't necessarily think much of it, but that's their choice. Been that way for years. Not a problem. Um, but what I find a little bit weird is the driver who drives for team a this year, who I've known forever. And we have a really easy, quick relationship. Those are the things that allow you to knock out a lot of stories on a regular basis goes to team B and team B who might know that you have a long-standing relationship with that driver, whatever, all of a sudden they want to take control of your relationship. Now that's not abnormal racing PR. It, it's changed a lot over the years. I could just tell you for sure that not so long ago, team PR reps were trained and really fought to hold the line on. We are the on or off switch for any and all communication with our drivers, team owners, management, you name it. Uh, if you want to interview so-and-so, got to go through me. And again, as IndyCar has, back in the day when it was a raging monster of popularity, I could understand that because you'd have 20, 30 reporters show up for a race. Now, eh, you can count on one hand. And Two or three of those are really only the only deadline reporters in the room. Some other ones might be doing things where it's a little bit more of a relaxed deadline. So, again, does it make sense if you've only got two or three people who are really like daily reporters about IndyCar and trying to be getting that news to you ASAP to try and apply those same old strictures of process and ownership of communications and blah 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 so what's funny sometimes is you'll have a driver who you work with easily the team's like look don't even waste my time call whomever you know just like get get do your thing we know you we trust you you know whatever 
Then you get some situations where a driver, where you have that relationship with, the team fully understands this is just the smartest use of everyone's time to handle it yourself. Go somewhere else. Boom! Shop door closes. And it's the full, nope, you are not talking to anybody unless you go through us. And it's not like they can stop you from calling that same person who would readily pick up the day before. It's just that person says, hey, man, can you call the team first? Uh, I can't talk to you on the record. Um, I can't talk to you about anything um, until they approve. And then you try and walk through the process with that team where you go, hi, I know you know I know so-and-so, um, but this thing where in your mind, if this driver drives for five different teams, my relationship with that driver is held by the PR rep at those five different teams and governs when I can or can't talk as one human being to another human being. That makes no sense to me, Horatio. So that happens. And you try and walk them through how, you know, why don't we just keep this relationship the way it was? Because in my mind, these drivers are going to go to a variety of different teams throughout their careers and our relationship doesn't change. You think it does. I don't. How do we get you to see things from my more efficient perspective? Doesn't always work, Horatio, but more often than not, it does. Now, there's one team in particular this year where there was a big change, and all of a sudden, uh, nobody, nothing, you name it, full lockdown, uh, and I, I won't get into some of the other stuff. And it took... No joke until maybe two months ago to finally get things figured out. Like, look, (laughs) I'm going to call this person. Okay. Uh, Like I have a million times before and just, can we just be good? Can we just be good? And we got good. So yay. Um, But I'm trying to think of the, the real star thing. Um, you know, there's one or two drivers who I, I will mention, you know, they're selective in using the big time card and it's not necessarily anything new. It's just kind of how they're feeling, whether, you know, um, they want to big time you or not. And those are always the worst calls, the worst interviews, because it's so unnatural Right, You have someone who's putting on airs and artifice where it does not belong. If I'm talking Michael Jordan, uh, if I'm talking LeBron, if I'm talking run down the list of like, these are sporting icons, holy crap. <laughs> well, I get that, uh, right? I, I am so minuscule and meaningless compared to this person in terms of how they're held up and regarded They've got a million people pulling at them, trying to get their time. I totally understand. Hell, I had this happen this year in NASCAR, trying to talk to Bubba Wallace. And without saying so, and it was some of the most polite stuff ever, the responses back from the, from the team, if I were to strip the really kind words that were sent back uh, saying no and just distill it down to what it was, it was a really simple way of saying, hi, eh, we don't know you. And therefore that automatically makes you small time. 
and you don't come from a giant outlet, one that we would easily recognize. Hi, this is Marshall Pruitt from ESPN, CNN, whatever. Name the thing where you're like, oh, we recognize that logo. Um, Really simply put, it was a thanks for the inquiry. You're too small. We don't know you. You might be the best. You might have the best interview ever that Bubba's ever had. Eh, we're not wanting to find out. And while it was frustrating, I understood, right? Um, guy coming from IndyCar, sports cars, eh, I understand how that didn't fit. But in our world, <laughs> uh, I can't really find reasons, Horatio, for things not to fit. So maybe a little bit of that. Uh, background and insider stuff, which sometimes y'all tell me you like. Um, maybe that was vaguely interesting. Uh, and maybe it wasn't. Tell me if it wasn't. I don't have to. I don't. I don't have to go into such things if it isn't of value. So that's the cool thing about the show. We do whatever works. Uh, let's see. Ross Porter. Hey. All right. Let me see what we got here. We have. 148 words on your question, my man. Uh, Marshall, have you heard any word on further development uh, in the race for equality and change? Now, uh, you did send this in before the race for equality and change program announcement was done on Thursday. So good on you for being ahead of the old curvy curve. Um, you say in high school is part of a STEM program that allowed students to build an experimental aircraft from scratch and obtain their pilot's license. Says it spurred my interest in STEM and specifically aviation, eventually leading me to a career. Says I, I'm now a mentor in the program and on the board of directors. That's awesome, Ross. Uh, says and have noticed that our programs that bear the most fruit are set up in school curriculums, making them easily accessible to students as part of their daily routine. Says uh, coming back to the IndyCar angle, I love what the next gen racers uh, are doing in IndyCar, but I feel that some sort of vocational center. Uh, that high school students can attend for credit would be an ideal setup uh, to allow as many kids as possible to experience a taste of motorsports based in STEM education. What's your take? Well, <laughs> that's freaking awesome, Ross. And uh, I spent 15, 20 minutes on the phone yesterday, Thursday, with Bud Denker, the president of Penske Corporation, who is really the person who has made the race for equality and change uh, something, taking it from a concept to a reality. So hands dirty, right? Making this thing come to life. I need to ask Bud if there are other people that he works with that would be best to engage with on this subject. Because I feel like you... Ross and maybe some of the other of our dear listeners who maybe have involvements in STEM or have had, have a kid who's involved, you know, this sounds like a really important thing for them to do at some point, not now, uh, but at some point, because what they're trying to do is jumpstart something to address a, a void and absence in the only way that makes sense if you're trying to do it to get something going now, meaning they went and hired a couple of kids, as Bud told me, 
Uh, one, I believe, drifting experience. The other one, I, I do forget what uh, their mechanical experience was, but they hired a couple of mechanics, um, African-American kids from the greater Indianapolis area, and they're going to be part of this new Force Indy team. Uh, I think it might have been three people that he mentioned they hired. I'll have to go back and look at um, the interview. I haven't really gotten a whole lot of that story done yet. Um, kind of a little bit of an insight piece. But this, to me, is really the the long-term, long-serving angle, Ross. The okay, so we can try and find some, you know, I'm just calling them kids because their age compared to mine makes them kids. We go and try and find some kids who fit what we're trying to do, and we're jump-starting things that way. That Got it? Understood. But if we're talking about creating a true pipeline rooted, rooted in education and achievement that will serve the race for equality and change for a long, long time, exactly what you mentioned is the kind of thing that needs to happen. Now... Where I wonder uh, what would be best is this. Um, Rod Reed's NXG Youth Motorsports Initiative, based in Indianapolis, runs in Indianapolis. Roger Penske mentioned they're building, they're building a building on-site at IMS where uh, NXG will have... Um, it's home and base. I don't know if that will end up being the place where Force Indy, it's weird to not say Force India, um, where Force Indy will be based at some point in the future. Uh, as I read in the release, they're going to start off being about a half hour away uh, in a shop from Team Penske's big giant uh, base in North Carolina. But it, the thing I wonder about, Ross, is this. No surprise that if you walk down the IndyCar paddock and say, hey, where are you from? You get a lot of people saying, somewhere here in Indiana. And if it's not Indiana, it's probably a bordering state, something close Midwest-ish. None of that's bad. None of that's wrong. There's no issue with that whatsoever. But if we're going to try and build a race for quality and change, that is developing true talent finding talent, cultivating that talent, talent with black kids, with yellow kids, brown kids, um, you name it. Well, again, uh, is should this just strictly be a, we get a good look at folks from where we're at? Or do we say, hey, like race car drivers, there's talent from all over the place. So, hey, send in your application. Uh, hey, kid from New Hampshire, hey, kid from Arizona, hey, wherever. Um, that's the thing. I, maybe I, I haven't thought this all the way through yet, Ross, but that would be my only, I don't know if concern is, is the proper way to put it, but if this is just a, look, these are all Indianapolis, Indiana, Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, you know, just saying, if it's the you're within four hours of indie type folks. Um, I wonder if we're actually reaching the full potential of what this could be. So 
like drivers uh, that come from all over. Uh, at least knowing that this is a North American, American centric, uh, program as it's been described over and over again. Uh, and certainly one that wants to, uh, make a difference in terms of bringing people of color into the sport. I would wonder and hope if the kid that's really doing well in his or her high school shop class in Seattle or wherever might be someone who could come and be a part of this working in Indiana, working in Speedway here uh, where it would be based. But that's the part I'd love to, to ask more about. I know that I mentioned this a little bit in part of the earlier uh, bit of the question, Ross, but when I have race for equality and change questions from a hierarchy standpoint, from a policy standpoint. How are you going to do it? What's the best way to do it? Uh, It's all been with Bud. And knowing that Bud runs a billion-plus-dollar company, believe it or not, he's not always available to take my call. (laughs) So I just need to reach out and find, hey, you know, it's not as if I couldn't call uh, Coach Reed or Jimmy McMillan or some of the other folks, but I want to know who is really, are there other folks who we would look to and say, aha, this is the person writing the policy and script on what this will be or can be. Uh, and so maybe it is uh, Coach Reed, etc. And uh, I just don't know yet. But as I find that out, Ross, um, don't be surprised if I ask for your email address and maybe some others uh, to weigh in, um, because this is this is something that I don't know. You might have figured out matters to me. Uh, Zach Eckler, uh, we're going to go to you because your name's Zach Eckler, and you sent in a question, and we appreciate it. It says, "MP, how do you think the Indy Light season will go?" I'm going to drink a sip here uh, this year. What are your thoughts about the Freedom 100 not being on the schedule? <clears throat> Listen to. Why am I, why do I have a hoarse voice after drinking beer? Okay. I don't know why it's not helping, but there you go. Maybe that's part of drinking very dark beers. Uh, What are my thoughts about the Freedom 100, Zach? I would invite you to listen to probably the last month's worth of episodes because I have spoken about that a lot. Uh, says, I was always under the impression that that was one of their biggest races as far as training for the 500 in uh, the IndyCar series. Um, then you're kind enough to add, God bless you, your wife, and your cats, Rocky and Rosie, and hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I am. You know what I'm having for dinner tonight? I'm still having leftovers. But I think we're kind of getting down to the end of that because it might start turning funny colors uh, if uh, it stays around much longer. Only thing I'll add... To the Freedom 100 thing, uh, which I don't know if I've mentioned. I think I mentioned it in an abstract of, hey, this means a lot to parents and the limited number of sponsors who get involved. And by taking it away, I think you will have harmed uh, this to some degree in terms of the amount of drivers that would come play. I learned this week there was an absolute, no question, 100% program that was meant to happen in Indy Lights that got shut down and died before it started because the Freedom 100 was indeed taken away and not being part of the Indy 500 weekend uh, 
uh, was taken off the map. So there's that. Uh, as for how do I think the season will go, I think it's going to be pretty good. Uh, caught up with Road to Indie Boss, the fine, truly, I mean this, I love this guy, fine, fine gent by the name of Dan Anderson. I remember when, but recently. And yeah, he's still immensely positive we're going to have 10 to 12 cars, as many as 13. I know that's not a giant number, but coming off a year where things were so bad, it got canceled. That would be a pretty darn good, call it a uh, reboot, a, uh, a good old reboot and return for the series. So I think we're going to be okay. The thing that I'm really liking to see so far is there's some really solid talent coming to play as well. Not everyone's going to be a champ this coming season, but you know, we've had some years where there's been, as we always see, a couple strong ones, but then eh, maybe a little bit of a gap to everyone else. I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised that, call it the midfield of the Indy Lights grid, is going to be better, faster, and stronger uh, than we've seen for just a little bit. Uh, Steve Grinstead, similar thing. Uh, hope you and Shabrell had a safe and enjoyable Thanksgiving. We did. I like the safe part. Like, she didn't punch me. Uh, the cast didn't attack me. So uh, no fights broke out. I'm happy to happy to announce that. Um, let's see. Uh, you asked about what the field looks like for IndyCar. Great. And you also mentioned the feeder series. Need to catch up on uh, USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 because I can't answer that with any knowledge right now. Um, on the IndyCar front, I think we're going to be up a couple full-timers for sure compared to what we just had, which was, what, 23 full-time? So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good that we know that there have been some additional entries uh, that are been added, so I'm not exactly breaking any news. But, you know, sometimes you wonder if everyone's going to answer the bell uh, some of the things that get announced have a lot of hope attached to them, right? Uh, hey, we're going to do this car. This driver's going to drive for us. And you go, great. And then you find out, oh, by the way, their sponsor didn't pay. Or their mom or dad decided that, uh, you know what, they wanted to buy a new home somewhere. And so the little driver of theirs isn't going to do it. So I think we're going to be pretty darn solid, though. I, don't, I can't think of a whole lot of drop-off. So... Yeah, if we aren't 26-ish, I'll be surprised uh, with a couple more at a few rounds um, for the part-timers to get brought in. You know, we don't have a ton of questions left, and I'm okay with that. I hope y'all are okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, Mark Lashure, I, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Have you sent questions in before, Mark? If so... My non-drunk brain, but kind of boozy brain in general, is forgetting, and I apologize. Your name is also your first name is also spelled with a C, not a K, for Mark. I might have mentioned this before on the show, but if not, I'll just mention it again. That as a child who struggled with some things like this with words and how to pronounce them, uh, I had to have my mother explain to me that your first name would not be pronounced Mars. So, true story. I wasn't very smart as a kid. I'm not making any claims that have vastly improved in that area. So, I'm glad 
seven-year-old Marshall isn't reading this because he would have just said Mars Lashur. Uh, and I might have mispronounced your last name as well. So it's a travesty, but it's my little travesty. He says, hey, MP, with an exclamation point. Thank you, Mark. Uh, do you think the IndyCar Feeder Series should stick to the FIA ladder of Formula 2, Formula 3? Because I know Formula 4 North America is a thing, but is it linked to the FIA or to IndyCar? It says, best wishes to you, your wife, and the cats. Well, those fools were just in here. Uh... They're not even out in the hallway staring at me. I had Rosie asleep on the left, Rocky on the right, and uh, wondering when they were going to pounce on my head. Well, I am struggling, Mark, to think of a time where anything FIA was really seriously part of a formalized ladder that fed to IndyCar. Now, I know that there was the FIA Formula BMW series, and that, I think, I apologize, uh, I think that was associated with Champ Car. Um, so there would have been that. But other than that, I really cannot think of anything throughout our history here in North America with junior open-wheel racing that has had any FIA link. Now, have there been cars raced here that were raced somewhere else that might have been under FIA sanction in general? I'm sure. But thinking back to, you know, if you want to go way back, uh, Formula V, Formula Ford, uh, Formula Ford 2000 really wasn't much of a thing until kind of mid-80s. not saying they weren't around. I'm just saying it wasn't really something that took off. Uh, really took off more mid to late 80s. Um, Super V is something where there are certainly really strong European Super V championships. I don't know if they were FIA sanctioned or not. Um, but here, Super V was a big thing. Y'all know that's where I got my start as a mechanic at 16 years old or whatever. Uh, Formula Atlantic is something that wasn't so much European. Uh, it wasn't a big European thing. It was here, though. was in Canada. was down under for sure. Uh, then you have Indy Lights, the original Indy Lights cars. And honestly, what, uh, until the Infinity Pro Series took off? I believe every Indy Lights car was some form of derivation of a F3000 car. So I'm not saying it was the exact by any means, but it was, granted, the first cars, the American Racing Series, those were F3000 marches. Uh, we're called the March Wildcat because that was a Buick uh, a Buick model or ever i don't remember what but uh, those were straight up 1985 spec f3000 cars uh so fia f3000 but <laughs> they didn't have uh three liter v8 cosworth judd or otherwise engines in them to make them f3000 cars they had 4.2 liter uh freaking cast iron v6 buicks so nothing like it anywhere else in the world and that's kind of how things have been, to be honest, Mark. Uh, the Infinity Pro Series cars, unique to us. Um, yeah, so I guess I mention all this because there have been efforts over the years 
to make FIA ladder stuff a thing here. F3 is really, I think, about as far as I recall, if we're talking height, you know, nothing on the F2, F3000 front. Uh, but there's been more than one attempt to make F3 America, US, or whatever a thing. I'm kind of recalling an attempt to do that and uh, maybe a support race being held at one of the U.S. Grand Prix. I don't know why the uh, the short-lived Phoenix street race comes to mind, but uh, it didn't really go anywhere. They didn't, I mean, they sold three or four cars or whatever. It was, you know, didn't take off. Here, F4, which is linked to the FIA for sure, uh, especially with the name change during the offseason to Formula Regionals, Formula Regional Americas, which is the dumbest name ever. Um, But yeah, that is absolutely linked back to the FIA. And yeah, so for what is going on with the F3, F4 angle powered by Honda slash HPD, so that's great. There's no link to IndyCar. There's nothing. And I will tell you, I hope it stays that way. Not because I dislike those series, the teams in them, the drivers, the people who own series and sanctions. There's nothing to do with that. Look, I'm a guy who's old enough to have remembered when the IndyCar split happened and worked on both sides of it. And granted, I moved over the media thing before it was all reconciled in 2008. But, you know, I I do remember uh, vividly what it was like of having competing series when there wasn't enough product to really support to and have both stay healthy. And so that's, I mean, what, hey, guess what? <laughs> what are we dealing with for the past while? Uh, it's the road to Indy, more often than not ha- lacking enough cars. Um, it's not blaming F3, F4 at all. No, just saying that I don't want one to go away. I just think that what we have needs to be further developed and receive more investment and participation from those in IndyCar. That's the thing we've been hoping for all along on the F four side in particular. I see value in it. It is below USF 2000 and not by a small margin. It's no one confuses those cars for being like uh, the, the, the first step of the road to Indy, but that's not a bad thing. You know, if a kid's coming out of karting and really, maybe is feeling like they need more time, more development, more whatever. Don't quite want to hit USF 2000 where it's, look, even though this is the first step, it's nasty. I I totally get. That's why I think F4, um, Formula Regional America grids have been pretty decent. F3 there, you know, that it's there. I don't know if it's really taken off, and I don't know if it really will. So, yeah. I should just close with this, Mark, by mentioning I'm kind of defiantly American when it comes to my open-wheel racing. Love Formula One, love a lot of things, but I can find zero value or need to have a non-American sanctioning body and organization in the FIA to be involved in anything we do here. We sanction ourselves, we do our own thing, we do a very different thing 
than anything else the FIA does. We do ovals, we do roads, we do streets, we do, what, three types of ovals? The short, the uh, the intermediate, if you want to call it, and the super speedway. We, we're, it's such a multidiscipline thing that I think going about things the way we have with our road to Indy, and prior to that with Indy Lights starting in 86, Super V, which started in, what, I late 60s, early 70s. Um, I think we have something, Mark, that has been long established, works insanely well. We know it hasn't been as healthy as we want of late, and I'm just not a guy that says, oh, we're having trouble. Oh, we should just throw it all away and go to something else. We should use this other other organization's thing. Eh, that doesn't, that doesn't strike me as the most American approach. Uh, let's fight for the thing we have that has worked so well and get it back to being healthy again. Hey, that might be the name of uh, the uh, IndyCar series story for the last 20-plus years. Uh, you also mentioned best wishes to you, your wife, and your cats. Thanks, man. Uh, Kevin Frederico, you ask a question that is number four on the countdown of final ones for this episode. Uh, you say, hey, MP with IndyCar not open to multiple chassis competition in the future. Has a serious thought about maybe have uh, the top five teams uh, design a, a team-based aero kit that Delara would build for them. Uh, figure the top five teams have the biggest bucks and the top end en- engineering talents anyways. Be a way to help make the cars different in a spec supplier series. Plus, if they're team-based, then the manufacturer-based uh, design... Um, all right, man, you lost me here. I apologize. Um, so you were talking about the top five teams would design individual aero kits that Delara would build, and then teams would pick and choose that aren't the top five, which ones they might want to use. I, look, I'm all about variety and fun. Um I know that in other series where you say, okay, only three or four of you can build something like we have in sports cars in the LMP2 class where there are four approved constructors. Ultimately, there's a best one and ultimately everyone migrates towards that. And the ones who didn't do that from the beginning, either because they did bad research or had an alliance or a relationship with one of the other ones, uh, Whatever the reasons are, the and I'm sitting on a giant waste of money and have to now go buy uh, new cars because one of the three or four or five has stood out as the best. That's what ends up happening. Uh, and it did back in the day when we had multiple chassis. Um, just teams often had to suffer through it and then keep going. Uh, today, we're not confident that enough teams would be able to do that and survive. So that's why I would say I love your idea, man. And if you send this back in when IndyCar is super flush with money and sponsorship floating throughout the teams, then I would love to push for something like this. But if you think about, hey, we picked from one of those five designs and we're not one of those five, who knows? Maybe we are one of those five. And what we came up with sucked. Well, if we're a five-car team like Andretti and we design the Andretti Aero Kit and by chance it wasn't great, well, we don't just have to, in the name of being successful, go buy the one from another team. 
and we don't just need to buy it for the five cars we're running. We need to buy at minimum 10 of these kits because we're going to need a spare set of bodywork minimum, if not three sets, right? Uh, as we've seen, driver starts the race into turn one, so-and-so short breaks, bash, you bust up the nose, they pit right away, they go to the spare hashtag front nose. Now you're on nose wing number th- two combo. By chance, boom, you get hit again, or you run into somebody. Got a pit again, going to hashtag front nose number three. We've seen that before. We've seen that where they get to, like, number four, and all of a sudden the nose is mismatched because they took it off one of the other. They borrowed it from one of their sister team entries, maybe a car that's already out. But So we're talking 15 body kits. Uh, uh, and that's again, kits we would assume would be, you know, nose and wing combo as well, uh, and rear wings. So 15 for a big team like that, uh, even for a smaller team, Hey, you're a two car Dale coin outfit and you, boy, you got the wrong one. You're getting your butt kicked. Well, we need six this and, and they're not going to be 50 grand. It's going to be more. So. I know that in other times, Kev, this wouldn't have been a thing to even sweat. Today, yeah, that money just isn't there. I love the idea, though. Uh, we're going to I need a name, please, from Reddit. You're P3 in the countdown. How does the pit gun arrangement work within the series? Is there a spec gun supplied? Do teams develop their own? Do they purchase them and then customize them like dampers? Uh, it says, P.S., you bet the under last week regarding DCR's lineup confirmation. Okay, thank you. I still don't remember the question enough, though, about the over-under odds to fully grasp, even though you've answered. I'm sorry that you all have to put up with me. You don't have to put up with me, but you do. You're kind. You're uh, you're taking pity uh, on somebody here, so I appreciate that. Teams buy their own. There's nothing spec. There's nothing anything. IndyCar, unless I'm misremembering IndyCar doesn't get involved uh, with what you want to do with your wheel guns. I can't think of any being banned or outlawed, um, whether it's Paoli's or I don't know, uh, whatever. Uh, They're not cheap. They are. I love your parallel to dampers because, you know, the super fast, crazy, uh, high RPM, high torque achievement in point zero negative seconds. That's why these super high end, uh, wheel guns that we see use cost so darn much, but that's because they're designed and engineered to be that way and take a pretty good pounding, right? They get thrown and they're heavy. I mean, they're not heavy, heavy, but look, it's a hunk of metal. Uh, they withstand pretty good punishment too, um, yeah, they're not cheap, but invariably you're going to have teams, the, the better teams, more competitive teams, absolutely spend some time, uh, opening them up, looking, polishing, uh, using files to make any little tweaks that they like, uh, to whatever radius to make this attach a little bit faster and so on. So yeah, this is an area that, like many things on a race car, uh, is not just 
put on not just purchased and forgotten in terms of its competitive possibilities absolutely uh is taken very seriously and it's kind of cool actually honestly the pride taken by many teams really and the individuals you know the pit crew hey this is my wheel gun um i forget the uh boy why am i forgetting the uh the military mantra uh anyways this is my wheel gun and they take great care of them keep them tuned and oiled and happy uh but also yeah there there tends to be a little bit of customization uh that can take place uh bob gravel Love that Tim put this as our penultimate question. Why does penultimate sound like just like a higher dollar word than others? It does. I like it. Uh, my friend James Clay, who owns Bimmer World, makes fun of me because I use that in a press release for him once. And he was like, oh, the next year coming up on uh, on that race. That's your favorite. I'm like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's some people call it, you know, the peasants call it the second to last, next to last race. You, though, in your press release last year, you referred to it as the penultimate. And, uh, anyways, just took the piss out of me, and it was great. So, sorry. I don't know why this came up, Bob, but, hey, you're P2. Uh, everyone loves the spin and win story from the Indy 500, but is that the craziest thing you have seen in a race that has resulted in a win? Hmm. No, for sure, and that was amazing, but it, it the win that happened was unrelated to the spin. What does that mean? Uh, our man Danny Sullivan, who I texted with today, by the way, I hopefully I remember to tell you why here uh, as I say farewell to the show uh, once we get to the last question. Um, that spin and win, it's not like it happened on the last lap and he managed to pull out of it and then go back and pass Mario and win. Had that happened, I'd say that's probably going to be the best ever. Uh, of course, I've seen other wins that are amazing. Uh, if you think back to Portland, what uh, was that 97 cart uh, race? Um, you know, where it was the three cars streaking to the finish line and the finish, you know, it was a separation by point zero zero zero. Like what we're used to seeing each year at the freedom 100 oval race at Indianapolis, we kind of sort of had that finish on the front straight at Portland, um, on a road course. Now, granted that is used as a drag strip, uh, as well, but yeah, we basically had a Freedom 100 finish to settle the, again, I believe it was the 97, maybe, uh, 98, whatever it was, Portland uh, cart IndyCar race. That was amazing. That was fun. Of course, we've had the, uh, oh, and they're leading and they're going to win. It's going to be important. They run out of fuel and yada, yada, yada. I got to say, Bob, I will probably always answer this with 2011 Indy 500 and the crash and victory in the lead changing hands on the final lap in the final corner between Jerry Hildebrand and Dan Weldon. And I was standing in the media center at the time. I was looking towards turn four. I saw the crash with my local Bay Area pal, Jer Hildebrand. I leading on that final lap, I, 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 believe i said it out loud which is embarrassing 
uh, multiple times and loud and to no one. I, I was just one of those things where my inside voice was coming out on its own. I can't believe a rookie is going to win this race. I cannot believe a rookie is going to win this race. <sighs> and then he didn't. So watching JR, who I was privately rooting for, I'm like, wow, this is going to be an amazing story. This is going to change his life forever. Golden child for the rest of his life, wherever he goes, uh, you know, in and among racing people. Um, and oh my God, Bob, watching him crash, trying to get by Charlie Kimball um, and Dan Weldon in the fairy tailist of fairy tale drives, right? And so this to me is why a spin and win and some other things, they just don't even come close because everything that was everything and a story that did not become meaningful until the final corner on the final lap of the Indy 500 exploded in that crash. I mean, no one going into that final lap thought Dan Weldon was going to win. There was no reason to believe that. There was no chance of that happening if the race had played out without the Kimball, without Charlie there. Had JR just been on his normal line, didn't get up into the marbles, again, we're not having this conversation uh, about anything other than, oh my God, did did you see that rookie win? That's cool. It's amazing for him. Uh, but you know, um, are we still talking about Alexander Rossi's rookie win in 2016, you know, all these years later as like, Oh my God, do you remember? Not so much, right? It's still amazing. Nothing's diminished from it, but it's not that, I mean, you're talking about the spin and win that was 1985. Uh, you know, again, we're going to love it, but I don't know if it's going to stand the test of time as a, Oh my God. Um, JR winning would not have held the test of time as an, Oh my God, he'd be famous in our sport for winning as a rookie, but stops there. Everything that was unfolded, everything that was laid out with Dan moving into the lead with the smallest team in the field, the, the, it's not a hope and a prayer, a no hope and no prayer team, uh, feeling a little bit bad for him. For most of the month of like, all right, you know, uh, we love you, dude. You're a winner. You're our hero. You're the, everyone's best friend, but you know, oh man, you know, uh, you're not exactly where we would want you to be stature wise with this team in its second Indy 500, uh, where it started last, the pre, you know, in its previous year on its debut and was not having much to offer all those things. Bob got unpacked. And so knowing how much it meant, and then obviously what happened five months later, losing Dan, um, right? So I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to point to anything other than 2011 Indy 500. Um, yeah, there's so much there, so much there that goes beyond just the victory. Uh, we're going to close with our pal, Josh Ridgen. Um, 
I think we got some overtime questions here potentially. Uh, so we're at about an hour and a half. I don't think I'm really going to go much beyond an hour and a half. So I might roll in one or two others. Um, but that's about it instead of trying to get them all done. And I apologize. Um, Josh Ridgen says bit of a fun one. What if instead of a drive to survive style docu-series, I just finished that last night, season two, I'd forgotten that I got halfway through during the shutdown and then was like, well, I'm going to dole these out slowly because this is going to be a while. Then I just forgot. And so I saw the rest of it last season two last night. He says, instead of a drive to survive, IndyCar makes a horror film. Uh, who and what would be the IndyCar monster? Says for hashtag me personally, it would be a sentient LED panel. Oh, I love that. Uh, and which driver would be the first victim? Oh, who would be the monster? <sighs> wow. Uh, I've had a couple answers flash in my head, and I'm like, I'm not saying those. Oh, I'm not saying those. Who would be the monster? I mean, Paul Genelosi no longer competes in IndyCar. That's, he hasn't been there for a while, so that's not much of an option. Um, wow. Uh, who would be the monster? Why am I, again, of the ones that I can't really say, who might I throw in as the monster here? Who who do we get? Who do we chuck in? Is it AJ Foyt? Right. I mean, we know he damn near killed Robin Miller. Uh, he didn't, but you know, let's oversell that a little bit. Uh, he what? He damn near killed our line Dyke. He didn't, but you know, uh, it kind of looked like it. Uh, he's killed laptops for sure. Um, you know, I think AJ. He, again, like me, he's not going to outrun you, right? Uh, he, he's going to be the monster that walks towards you. And hopefully, as we sometimes see in horror films, the person who should just kind of lightly saunter away to be safe uh, falls down, uh, trip a lot. There's a lot of tripping uh, that takes place. And um, then they get eaten or stabbed or whatever they might be. So I think that's kind of where the, the menacing AJ has his best chance to uh, to kill people. I, what I don't know is how he dresses up. Is he, like, just covered? Is it, like, steak monster, right? Is it just kind of either he's morphs into a, a walking demonic steak or is he just covered in steak, kind of Lady Gaga style? I don't know, but I, I, I think that might be it. As for the driver, that would be the first victim probably be mario probably be mario so yeah uh not sure uh he's ever really appreciated the uh suggestion that uh mario might be the goat instead of himself so he might kill me too because i've said mario's the goat for a good long while so uh if we're talking driver he probably kills mario first uh anybody else it's probably me um yeah uh yeah, there's a lot of fat on that steak, though. So if he's going to, like, kind of morph me into himself to get bigger, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that probably wouldn't be too good. Um, all right, uh, I'm not even going to call this overtime. Uh, I truly, I didn't notice that there was an extra page uh, with things that weren't above the line. So I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just dumb. Um 
Robbie Berggren says Marshall, while Elio and Tony uh, will be racing next year, their careers are close to over. If you had to adjust that Tony was only a uh, in a top team in his prime from 2003 to 2010, do you think Tony or Elio had a better career? Um, yeah, I got to go with Elio. The amount of wins that he had, uh, obviously the Indy 500s, there those those toughest years at Gana- Ganassi, good lord, at Andretti, right? With Weldon and Frankiti in particular as his toughest opponents. Um, you know, he he fared well, but we also saw that um, you know, Dario and Dan often were his equal, if not better. So there was that, but I would just say there was not a sustained Dan or Dario for the majority of Tony's career, as you mentioned, to be able to say, gosh, he had a uh, a monster of a teammate to beat and beat them. He had Scott Dixon as a teammate, so we know that Dixie is at minimum equal to a Dan or Dario. There wasn't really a lot of getting past Dixie. Uh, Elio, he always had the best uh, or just about the best lining up next to him. He didn't always win, and we know he didn't win championships. Um, But I would say year in, year out, the average, uh, knowing who he had to go up against, <clears throat> and that consistently he was having to beat some monsters as we bring that word back in here. I just think that he had stiffer opposition for the majority of his career and really while he might not have beat them to championships in IndyCar, the guy was always top three, top four, top five, putting up wins, grabbing poles, running towards the front. There just really wasn't any of many times where you can go, huh, um, you're falling back on the depth chart and we don't see like, we don't, I don't recall seeing that too much. So I'd probably have to say Elio, uh, just because the, uh, the, the difficulty of schedule, you might say was a little bit, uh, more of a thing. Uh, let's see, uh, Daniel Summerskill. This question, I tell you, uh, it, it persists, and I think it, there's just a, a goal that if you ask it enough, and I'm not saying this about you, Daniel, I see it all over social media all the time, I think there's a general belief that if you ask it enough, you'll just say yes. Uh, he said, great to see Tony Kanon signing a two-year deal to do the ovals and the number 48 Chip Ganassi uh, Honda, but does it kill off any chance of Jimmy Johnson competing in the Indy 500? Um, there was never a chance of Jimmy doing the Indy 500. He said that from the outset, Daniel. Uh, it's never been in play. So he said, hey, maybe I hope and who knows and maybe, and, you know, uh, it's a, it'd be great. But let's talk next year. I think being at the 500 and not being in the car at the 500 after being in the car lots beforehand, uh, I just, you know, assuming there are no big crashes to, you know, make him go, woo, uh-uh, uh, and his wife and family. You know, I think they need to see that he can do this and that it is safe, and maybe that will be the thing that removes the the majority of the fear. Because right now, there's no experience doing it. They haven't felt it, lived it, breathed it, and you name it. 
I think once they do, even without the ovals, I think there's just going to be a little more of a comfort that isn't there now. Maybe that comfort opens up the possibility of a fifth car from Ganassi at the 2022 Indy 500, but I'm not putting any money on it. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Um, Eater flows out. You got a good question here. Send that one back in. Just take a while to answer it. And I don't want to make this a long show. Um, John Wojnar, AKA John Ranjo. How you doing? My pal, um, send yours in too. Uh, I love this one about inserting IndyCar paddock folks into the Detroit lions, the Detroit lions, NFL staff. This is a good one. Just send it in brother. And, Hopefully we can put that towards the uh, the front of the next episode. A um, couple other here, Trip Hazard about tire wars. Or is there any benefit to it? No, unless that other tire manufacturer is bringing a lot of money into the sport. And this is something where then both manufacturers have to contribute a lot more money, uh, pay teams instead of teams paying for their tires, uh, free tires to the teams. That would be a really nice budget break. Um, you know, I, I know it's pretty vain or not vain, but pretty simple, but yeah, if it makes teams richer and able to do more or cover their budgets with more ease and the safety is there. Yeah. I'd love to see it. I just don't know if any manufacturers trying to do that. Uh, just going to close here with our pal Lance Snyder, the official minister of mirth of, uh, the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Uh, it says, Marshall, with just a little over three weeks to the greatest holiday of the year ever, Festivus. What are your Festivus miracle, miracles? I'm not drunk. I swear to you. There's, yeah, all right, that's less than half a beer. I better finish this quickly. It says, hashtag me personally. Some of those Festivus miracles are sunlight, elevator doors opening, the key unlocking my apartment door, and Alexander Rossi being in a meh mood. You, Mr. Snyder, you got to pick a little bone here. You know I know nothing about Festivus or the most garbage TV show ever made, that being Seinfeld. So, of course, knowing this, trying to poke the bear, uh, you're going to ask a question about Festivus. Not the first time you've asked about it on the show, but, uh, you know, your persistence. I understand. Uh, okay. So assuming that since you named things that are normal, fantastical and meh, I would assume those are the, some of the ranges we should go with Festivus in terms of there being miracles. Okay. What are some of the things? Um, garbage shoots. That is something I've never experienced one before in my life until my wife and I moved to this little kind of uh, townhome apartmenty type place. Um, that's laid out almost like a hotel. Um, there's a garbage chute, man. That's the best thing in the world. And as someone who watched, uh, late night with David Letterman, um, I'll, I think pretty much from the outset, all the fun stuff that he used to do going up on top of the roof, uh, dropping bowling balls and watermelons and just, you know, crushing things. When I have to put heavy things into the garbage chute since we're in the top floor, oh, the the distance from the fifth floor, uh, yeah, the crashing and banging and whatnot, it just it makes me giggle. 
I also though realize that there's someone living right in, on the other side of the wall. And so I feel bad for them because I don't know if they were shown the garbage chute when they moved in or were told that there was one, because if not, uh, I got to imagine that this makes a God awful rocket rocket or racket. Um, yeah. But the fact that there's an actual constructed funnel to put garbage in that goes down thanks to gravity crashes and makes sounds and i don't have to be down by the garbage can smelling all the nastiness to throw stuff away that right there i think that beats elevator doors opening for sure um you mentioned sunlight i was going to mention air but then i realized that air has kind of sort of been our enemy for most of the year because they're droplets and stuff floating in it that weren't uh like this time last year so much here and yeah so probably not air um you know what i like i like fog we don't get a lot of it on this side of the bay it's more of a peninsula closest to the pacific ocean side i grew up with it but on rare occasion we get it here so instead of sunlight i'll say fog it makes me happy so there's that um what else can i mention here that falls in line with festivus miracles that i i probably say should be better than the ones that i have offered magnets i think magnets are pretty awesome um i understand how they work but i it's still they're like the the refrigerate refrigerator equivalent of how does a 10 million ton oil tanker not just instantly plummet to the bottom of the ocean because the water isn't solid and you've put something super heavy on top of it and how does it not just fall all the way to the bottom my brain kind of works that way in in non-water terms with magnets how can I put this thing that has a picture of a cat doing something over a piece of paper that I want to have in front of me on the refrigerator that I'm only going to look at once or twice and then totally forget about, and then it just becomes like wallpaper that I forget exists. And yet, Lance, that magnet, it is serving every day, refusing to budge like a soldier doing its job blows me away i kind of know why the ships don't fall to the bottom of the ocean and why magnets stay in place but it's my brain still is is kind of fantastically bewildered by the fact that that's real um counter to close on rossi being in a meh mood i'll throw at you alex pillow being in a happy mood he's always happy even when he's not saying things that sound happy there's a smile and he even gets a low voice to say things that make him very happy and so when i want to think of a happy indycar driver i think of alex pillow i don't know if that'll ever change 
funnily enough, and I won't mention their names because I don't need to, there's some drivers who are known for being super happy and super smiley and engaging and love the fans. Uh, uh, I don't know if they'd, uh, they'd pass a polygraph test on that uh, behavioral trait, but it certainly has earned them a lot of fans. Um, the thing I'm going to mention before I say farewell is the reason that I'm sending notes to Danny Sullivan and let's see, who are some of the others? Uh, I've got Chris Neifel, Andrew Craig, Jimmy Vassar, Jim Busby, Michael Cannon, Justin Belt, um, Ryan Eversley, Willie T. Ribs, Ed Justice, Wayne Taylor, Ari Leyendike on the list I've written so far. I'm trying to put together episode 1000 special. Uh, Alan McNish, I interviewed, air quote interviewed, um, me and good old Al, Lowlander himself from Scotland, uh, spent about an hour on the phone today. Some of it, nothing to do with episode 1000, but the last half of it, definitely to do with episode 1000. And on the subject that y'all kindly brought up of, hey, dummy, it's it's almost here. You're at, this will be episode 991, I think. Um, what are you going to do? Uh, and some of y'all sent in some great suggestions. I've just decided to make it a storytelling episode. So part of me thought, well, hey, we've had some amazing stories told over the past almost 1,000 show uh, episodes. Maybe you should go clip some of those off and package them into a best of. If I was better at what I do, I would have made annotations as to what episodes, where it falls in the episode, so I could go back and find them and easily clip those parts and drop them into something new. I haven't really done that. So uh, (laughs) what I've decided is I just want to go talk to some friends, some legends, some heroes, some folks you maybe don't really know too much or haven't heard from, some who might be making their first appearance, but have some stories that I love, that I've heard before, some that I haven't, and Alan graced us with holy cow <laughs> uh many i don't know if all of them are going to make the show uh he told one and then as soon as he was done he said okay you cannot use that <laughs> so what i'm asking folks is to think of those the ones you're like all right what what's the what's one of your finer yarns that you have spun uh give me some of your favorite stories hopefully things that uh you know haven't been in a film uh, in a story, in a podcast, who knows? Maybe there'll be a little bit of crossover for something you've read, heard, or seen before. But by and large, uh, the goal is just to do a celebration of you with just fun stories. Fun, interesting, poignant, ridiculous. Uh, there are two that McNish told today that, I mean, I, I was almost crying laughing. And that's because Alan's best. He's a good pal as well. So uh, reached out to him because I know how much uh, talent he has as a storyteller. So just going to try and bring some of those to you. I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know how many people I'm going to ultimately connect with. I do know that I'm uh, talking to Ribs and Eversley tomorrow. Uh, Chris Kneifel as well. And I think Wayne Taylor. And going to try and roll in some more. I'm guessing... 
by, eh, I don't think it's going to be end of next week, but uh, the following week, somewhere around Christmas, we should be at or near episode 1000. So just going to try and put all this together. Uh, going to jumble them up and just make it a special episode of some good pals of the show telling you stuff that hopefully uh, you'll look back on and make sure that you download, bookmark, I don't know what, do something to make sure you go back to episode 1000 and say, Marshall Pruitt, you have put together 999 episodes that are the hottest of garbage. We are happy that finally by episode 1000, you did something that wasn't on fire in a dumpster. So we're going we're gonna to try and make sure we can access this easily. No comment, no expectation, no promise on whether episode 1001 will be worth listening to or anything after. But I'm at least trying to get one out of the first 1,000 right and hope that you enjoy it. So I mention this as both information, but also, as we often do on our little show, send me a note of, hey, would love to hear a crazy, interesting, funny story from this person or that person, and I'll see if they fit and if I agree. And if so, I will do my best to include them. Uh, I did think about whether I should ring Uncle Bobby, and I decided not to because every time we talk with him, there's it's just all crazy stories. So I feel like we've done enough shows with Uncle Bobby where eh, uh, I don't know if we need him to do this here because that's his standard format. So I'm trying to do something a little bit special and different. So if you got some ideas, got a lot of people on my list here that fall in the sports car world, um, throw me some IndyCar ideas and uh, don't need to send in Tony George. He's not going to talk to me. He never has. So, well, that's another one you can spare your time on. But uh, if you got some others where you think, ooh, this is someone who might have some, some stuff in the can to share, uh, or you've heard mention of a crazy thing and you'd love to hear that story, uh, shared, drop me a note. All right, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Weekend IndyCar Listener Q&A Part 2, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. I'm going to finish this beer and post this episode, and can't wait for us to talk again next week. <laughs>